0: welcome to the silver screen guide podcast where we discuss films from every genre so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast welcome to the new year listeners here at silver screen guide we are kicking off our very first retrospective series and today we are discussing jacob's ladder one that alan and i had never seen before, and just to introduce myself, this is your co-host, Corbin.
1: I'm Alan, and it's kind of funny how I found this movie, because I think I'd heard about it once or twice here and there, but I guess completely forgotten about it until I played Silent Hill, and then I looked up something like movies or other things like Silent Hill because at the time I was kind of going on a Silent Hill craze and that's when I found Jacob's Ladder and I was able to watch it and I suggested that we put it on the schedule and well now here we are which is also kind of tying into the new release that's supposed to be coming out like in a couple of weeks but nothing's really been talked about so that's how this whole movie came about uh, to be put on the schedule.
0: Yeah I was surprised to see When we were going through our list of our most anticipated movies of the year, I saw Jacob's Ladder coming out in February, I believe. Yeah. And uh, there was no poster. I just checked. There is a poster now. Okay. But it looks like a complete uh, remake of the old poster. Gotcha. And um, the film is completed, but not yet screened. I have a feeling... We're not going to see it next month. And if we do, it will probably be maybe direct a video
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm guessing. I looked at the director who's on the project, and he did this little movie called uh, Midnight Meat Train, mm-hmm. which I have seen most of. And I oh. can tell you right now, it's somewhat in the vein of a sci-fi movie. Um not sci-fi as in the genre, but sci-fi as in the channel. Most notably known oh, for gosh. their Sharknado series. Now, it's not as ridiculous as Sharknado, but mm. it's on that level of quality uh, of the rest of those kinds of movies. There's not great. And so my guess is, no, I'm just kind of speculating at this point. It could be very good. But my guess is it's going to be uh, one of those typical uh, horror movies that is going to be coming out with this new iteration of jacob's ladder that's my guess uh that is i guess to be determined when it does release
0: right and the writer for the new movie i noticed also did write the upcoming pet cemetery which we will also be reviewing this year right
1: right so that'll be interesting to see how those two turn out yeah uh interesting to see
0: Well, I had, like I said, I had never seen Jacob's Ladder before. I had heard about it, talked before you scan IMDb and the movie rental store enough times you're going to come across it and hear about it in different conversations. I know that one of my professors in college, from what I remember, he loves this movie. He talked about it a number of times. And so I was intrigued about this movie and it's one I had always wanted to see but just never got around to it so this was the uh, perfect opportunity to watch it and also if you have Amazon Prime video the the subscription then you can watch it right now for free quotation marks around the free
1: now it may have been me but I highly doubt that was the quality on your when you watched it was the quality uh was it not great for you cuz it wasn't great for me there seemed to be, it seemed to be just a bad transfer for me
0: yeah i mean it, it was kind of very much a dvd esque transfer it yeah. uh wasn't hd kind of grainy i thought right
1: yeah it it did not look great and there were some scenes where the grain it, it almost as if it was fil- uh, almost as if it was captured from a vhs tape and then really upscaled or mm. something but yeah it didn't it did not look very great on amazon prime at least uh i'm sure the blu-ray is what looks much better but at least for the amazon the version they have on amazon prime is not great in quality
0: hmm. yeah i i guess i didn't think about it too much because i think movies from that era just kind of look like that i mean it kind of made me think of the Fringe Connection, partially because they're both shot in New York, and a couple of the, the places where they shot were similar, and I think they were shot around the same time period. I don't know. To me, this looked like it was shot in the late 80s, and it was shot probably in 89 or so, and it was released in 1990. So right. it didn't look like a 90s movie to me. Very much looked like it was coming from the 80s.
1: Yeah, and I know that this whole Jacob's Ladder thing began in 19, like at the beginning of 1980, uh, but kind of had a hard time finding somebody to buy the script or get the rights to the script and make a movie Mm -hmm. off of it. Because it went through Paramount at one point and at first like, oh, sure, we'll take it. And then they eventually backed (laughs) down and they had to go for an independent studio, which was both a blessing and a curse because, hey, they got more creative freedom in terms of what they wanted to do with the movie, but at the same time, uh, they're not getting as much money as they could have gotten with somebody else and the publicity, like with Paramount. Uh, so, yeah, it took them about 10 years to, from the beginning of when the script was written uh, or the idea became about in 1980. And then when it was finally released in 1990, uh, that's when finally Jacob Snyder was able to come. And yeah, you're right. It was basically all filmed in 88, 89.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that explains why it looks as such. Where also Jacob's Ladder takes its name from, from the title, is from the book of Genesis, which is in the Jewish and Christian traditions from Genesis chapter 28, where Jacob uh, awakens and he sees this ladder descending from heaven and angels are going up and down on it. And he kind of hears the Lord talking to him, kind of telling him about how he will have all of this land and inheritance and stuff. And I also think the movie takes a lot from a little later on in Genesis 32, where Jacob wrestles with the angel throughout. We're not getting into spoiler territory here yet, listeners, so don't worry. But this is clearly Jacob... Appearing to wrestle with some kind of supernatural or spiritual forces, whether they be good or bad. And what will he do with that? That's kind of how uh, the movie turns out, ultimately, kind of what he does with that. So Jacob's Ladder is strictly taken from the the name from the Bible.
1: Yeah, very much so. And a lot of the names... In, especially, and they, they also point this out too in the movie, so it's not like that big of a spoiler, but a lot of the names that are used in the movie are also very biblical, and mm-hmm. they're, I guess, the way that they use them as well is also rather biblical, and of course, we'll talk about that when we get in there, but yeah, this movie is he- pretty heavily based, at least in terms of its base story and core idea. It's very heavily based off of the story from the Bible and those and that kind of thematic elements in terms of wrestling between two different sides of eternity, more or less. So yeah, well, we, well of course, we get all, into all of that, but that's where this movie kind of begins. Is it takes heavily off of the Genesis account of Jacob's ladder, the story, and really ha- and really does more of an artsy fartsy kind of <laughs> spin on it. Uh, yeah, I guess even more so than it th- did in the Bible. So
0: oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I checked out who the director and writers were for this movie because I was pretty interested. They have done just the oddest projects that you would never yeah. guess. I The director is Adrian Lin, who kind of does these same movies, you know, with the plot-wise anyway. I haven't seen any of them. He kind of does these uh, naughty-ish adult attraction movies. He's done Fatal Attraction, which is probably uh, one of the other famous ones. Uh, Lo, he did the remake of Lolita. He also did Flash Dance, and I've never heard of the other ones, but all their covers look the same of men and women embracing. So and that's all he's done. He also did a, well, he did nine movies, which is not much.
1: Yeah, he's, especially when, well, when Jacob's Letter came out, he was, uh, look, he had a pretty good number of movies in his belt, but yeah, this was one of his last. He did four more after this and then he was done so i guess this would have been considered like the middle of his career more or less mm-hmm. in terms of making full-length movies so
0: well did you see the writer also i was a little surprised bruce joel rubin he did ghost which i have seen with patrick right. swayze and i don't Dimmy yeah he did that he did the time traveler's wife yeah that was one of his newer ones yeah, that
1: I actually remember seeing the trailer for back when it was released.
0: I've seen it. I don't remember much about it. Yeah, he also did Deep Impact, and he yeah. did The Last Mimsy. That was kind of a kids' movie that came out uh, just a little after the age of where I would probably go see it. He also did right. some cheesy like eighties horror called Blood Rage, Deadly Friendly, Brainstorm, Zapped. Uh, he did a movie with Michael Keaton. It's just.
1: Odd. He's all over the place. I do know that Ghost was also kind of the same camp with Jacob's Ladder where it's just trying to find somebody to uh, produce it. They're trying to find some kind of they're at the same time. They were written in somewhat similar. They were written pretty close together uh, and they also had suffered from the same issue where they just couldn't find a studio to accept it But mm. because apparently they're both kind of. They were, I don't know how similar they are but I do know that they were both movies that you don't typically see a studio being picked picking up because of for whatever reason. I do want to mention the scores and the budget and gross and everything real quick. I uh, got a similar score of C minus. What? Yeah. Apparently it did not do great with the audience back in 1990. I did briefly look at the Rotten Tomatoes score. I think it was like a 70%. Uh, IMDb has the highest with a 7.5, which that seems... Uh, that seems like it was generally accepted, but that also might just be because it's become more of a cult film as of late. So, and then budget—it was estimated to be twenty-five million, according to IMDb. But uh, the box office Mojo didn't have that, and I don't think the Wikipedia article had it either. Mm. So that's estimated—that's what it's going to be, or that was—that's what it was. It only grossed twenty-six million, a little bit over twenty-six million, um, with an opening weekend it was seven point five million. So it did not do great in the theaters. And I think it only released domestically. So,
0: yeah, I had heard kind of some things before that this movie, according to like audiences, at least was just kind of mediocre. And so I had heard and especially knowing like I'm not going to say yet what this movie draws inspiration from from the story because that would kind of give a big spoiler to how this movie plays out, at least in the end. But I had heard that it was just kind of mediocre, and especially knowing what story it was based off of made me think that it's just kind of going to be cliche. It's not going to be very original. Um, I had heard, you know, my professor liked it, so I was like, okay, maybe it's just a fine movie, you know, or he's one of the few, I don't know. And I will say, when I first began watching the movie... I was like, yeah, this is, this movie's kind of fine. It's kind of making me think of the movie Nightbreed, which came out around the same time, which I didn't think was very good. Um, yeah, so I was like, uh, this might just be kind of a really palatable, okay movie. Well, I was uh, really surprised. I, I'm not going to give you surprised in what way, but I was very <laughs> surprised. <laughs> right. Well, Alan, are you ready to give them the plot?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay, listeners, before we do give you the plot, we are going to have a spoiler warning right here. So if you haven't seen Jacob's Ladder, we highly recommend that you click pause right now. Head over to Prime Video or another digital rental service or go to your brick and mortar rental store. Pick it up there. Go ahead and pop it on. Watch it. Come back and click play. So you'll be ready to discuss all of the juicy spoilers with us.
1: Uh, Okay. It's 1971, right when the Vietnam War just kind of began about a year or two before that. And Jacob Singer sits with his comrades awaiting their next orders when all of a sudden movement has been spotted in the tree line. The division that he's in, I think it's the first division, uh, scramble to prepare for battle and begin firing into the forest. But the enemy is not seen. While the camp goes berserk, Jacob hides in the forest and is attacked by a man with a bayonet. Our main character wakes up suddenly in a subway car. His destination, Bergen Street. His, he makes his way off the train and across the tracks to the other side, almost getting hit by another subway train headed in the same direction, operated by a man with a, with a, white, with a white mask filled with other people staring out the windows. After arriving home from the subway, Jezebel, Jacob's girlfriend, also known as Jeze, uh, hands, hands him a bag filled with old photos of his family. But Jacob becomes emotional after finding a picture of his dead son, Gabe, who had died before he left for Vietnam. Jesse rips the bag away from him and the pictures rips the bag and the pictures away from him, saying, "I don't like things that make you cry," and later throws them into the furnace. Uh, before after she, after she has for, for work. Jacob now works as a delivery boy for the post office, and his girlfriend Jezebel also works in a sorting kind of area. Jacob also has his chiropractor named Louis, who will constantly give him life advice and readjust his back when needed. But random things begin—random things happen—with faceless creatures, uh, as in a car trying to run Jacob over, or Jesse dancing with the, or Jesse dancing with the creature, causing Jacob to fall sick with a temperature of 106. Jesse tosses him into the bathtub and gets the other neighbors to help him out, help out, dumping ice into the tub to lower Jacob's temperature. And all the commotion Jacob flashes into a past life with Sarah and Gabe still alive before returning to the bathtub with Jesse by the way, Sarah was his the wife before Jezebel uh, they got into divorce Paul a former, mem- a former member of Jacob's platoon, comes to him searching for help he has been, in ter- he's, had been seeing, he's been seeing terrible hallucinations similar to what Jacob similar to Jacob's But when Paul reaches his car to leave, it explodes. At at Paul's funeral, the other members of the platoon begin to think that the military did something to cause this. But all the men back down, leaving Jacob alone after seemingly being followed and questioned by other men of of the government. Jacob approaches the lawyer that they got to investigate, and he tells our main character that he never went to Vietnam, and instead was stationed in Thailand, and that the whole platoon was discharged over psychological grounds. Jacob is then shoved into a car by two men and driven down the road. Jacob fights his way out, landing on a sidewalk next to a donation Santa who reaches down and takes his wallet saying, You poor, poor man. Jacob is taken into the hospital where he is believed that he is paralyzed. They wheel him into a surgery room with a long, unsanitary hallways with mental patients lining the corners and crawling on the grated ceiling above. Into another hallway with body parts lining the floor and blood on the walls. Jezebel appears in the operating room with a man with no eyes as he injects a a long needle into Jacob's forehead. Louis comes to the hospital and rescues, Jacob, and rescues Jacob, takes him back to his place. Louis explains that the way that he sees it, Jacob is holding on to something and that he needs to let go. And more in essentially saying that when you let go, the demons are actually angels taking you away is what he says. Taking his advice, Jacob heads back to his apartment with Jezebel, where he opens a box containing a bunch of memorabilia. He gets a phone call from another man who says he knows what really happened. Jacob and him meet and he explains that it was the drug, that he designed a drug called the ladder that was supposed to induce aggressive tendency to make the soldiers fight better and fight more aggressively. Unfortunately, the test platoon that they tried it on was his platoon and they kind of, and they went nuts and instead of fighting the enemy, they fought each other and ended up wiping out the entire, almost wiping out the entirety of the platoon. Jacob returns home where Gabe is sitting on the staircase. Jacob approaches him. J- Gabe says it's okay. Takes his hand and leads him upwards. We see Jacob's body lying on the table with two other medics declaring him dead as they walk away, and the credits roll.
0: So there's quite a bit to this movie. It yeah. goes into a lot more places than I expected, and had some twists that I definitely didn't expect it, and I I liked a lot.
1: Yeah, it was it was kind of funny with Jacob's ladder is. Uh, at first, when I first watched it, I was like, "Yeah, it's it's okay, it's pretty good." Because well, again, I had come off of Silent Hill, which has taken this idea and expanded upon it greatly to a to an extent where uh, at least this film is kind of really based more in reality and kind of makes a little bit more sense uh, in terms of following the story. But when you look at Silent Hill, it's not so much that way. It is very, it almost feels kind of random until you figure out what's going on here. When that's what my what was my first issue with it was oh well I yeah it was it's whatever it makes too much sense to me and compared to somebody else something else was like this but the more I kind of dug into it and sort of figure out why all these things were happening the more it I was like okay now it makes a bit more sense as to why I guess it makes sense uh, for this movie
0: right so the story that I said this movie really comes from which I. I read an English class a number of times, and we also watched the short film a number of times as well, is An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which is an old story. And it's, I think the story takes place probably around the Civil War time, where there's, I don't, I can't remember the specific details of the story, but they hang this guy for the war, but his noose breaks, he escapes, and the rest of the story continues on to him running back to his home. But when he comes to get back to his home and like embrace his wife and kids, he comes to the end of the noose and you come to find out that the whole time he was dropping from hanging is when he was just imagining running back to them. And then he just hangs and dies in the end. And, and that's how it ends. It's right. uh, It was a very inventive for the time. And I remember when I first read it and saw it, I thought, wow, that's a really interesting twist Nothing particularly salvific about that. It's just kind of like, yep, he dies. Okay, the end. Whereas this is different. But what I believe we're supposed to take away from this movie is Jacob is in Vietnam the whole time, and it's basically him getting rescued. From the time he's stabbed to the time he's rescued and trying to work on him medically, this is him imagining himself going to New York and he is kind of like faced with uh, two opportunities here. His chiropractor, you know, literally straightens him out, kind of sets him on the right path, but then he's also being pulled between these nightmarish demonic forces that really want to kind of take and devour him. And ultimately, will he remain in the hospital? Uh, That's kind of a reference towards the end there. Um, will he kind of stay there or will he be saved will he get out of there which will he choose and he also has two women to choose between right and sarah and jezebel are both biblical names and uh, just as some of his kids are biblical names as well and it's all kind of wrapped in how he remembers his son dying and you kind of begin to question what is what is real? What isn't real? Especially when you have this weird opening in Vietnam and then he wakes up on a subway train.
1: Right. Yeah. And actually, the more you – now you actually mentioned and talked about Occurrence at Oak Creek. I do actually remember reading that and watching that short film. I had just yeah. completely forgotten about it uh, since I watched it in high school. But now I remember it, I know what that is. Uh, anyways – uh, yeah you're very much correct and it's it's kind of interesting too because it begins with him with already with Jezebel uh he's not like a choice that he makes previously he wakes up or I guess not really wakes up but he goes home to where he would assume is his home and is also the place where he's with Jezebel who is, this, who is at this point his girlfriend uh that he's that my I guess is the story to kind of make sense of it at this point in, in this point in the narrative is it's a girl he had an affair with. Uh, and so Sarah let him go after Gabe died, and then he ended up with Jezebel after the war. Now that's just me kind of making sense of it at the, when I first watched it, and it's kind of interesting too because Jezebel uh, essentially wants him to forget everything that he's ever known. He wants him to for he wants him to forget Sarah, forget his son Gabe. This, of course, makes. A little bit more sense. Looking back at her little outburst there, the opening with the pictures, when she said, "I don't think I don't like things that make you cry." Her goal in the story is to more or less strip everything away from Jacob and keep him. I guess in this kind of purgatory that he's in for most of this movie. He's in most of it. is Most of it is with Jezebel, and she wants him to stay there. And my guess is, had he, which he he doesn't, he ends up uh, not staying there in the end. But Had he stayed there, he probably would have ended up more like the people in the insane asylum or the uh, mental hospital where they're just kind of brain dead. They don't really know what's going on. And my guess is that's the ultimate goal for her is to keep him there. And at one point, Louis kind of says that, yeah, if you keep and if this is all done because he keeps holding on to his to his life, he keeps holding on to his family and stuff. And Louis tells him, yeah, if you keep holding on to this, then they're going to these demons. These are going to be pulling your life away from you until you decide to let go.
0: And just to give you kind of a little bit of small biblical background, so these two women with their names make more sense to you listeners. For those of you who don't know the story, or maybe you just needed a refresher like I did, uh, Jezebel was a wicked woman in the Bible who incited her husband King Ahab to abandon worshiping the God of the Old Testament, and instead she wanted him to worship um, idols such as Baal—that's one of the more famous ones. Right. So as we can see in this movie, Jezebel is kind of doing her best to keep Gabe's or Gabe's <laughs> Jacob's eyes off of kind of his past with Sarah. And then also, if you'll remember, um, Jacob's wife was named Sarah. Right.
1: And yeah, it's it's also kind of interesting too because Jezebel especially at one moment in this scene. She's very much made to be very seductive. Uh, She was also that way in the Bible. So it kind of makes sense because it's more of a sexual attraction to this character that's meant to be leading him away from everything that he's ever known to keep him here. Uh, And then Sarah, which is kind of interesting too, because whenever Sarah shows in the picture, the movie becomes extremely peaceful for a few moments while she's there. Then when he's with Jezebel, things just kind of continually to get worse and worse until the very end. So, yeah, it's very interesting the way that they handle Jezebel in this movie because it's, uh, is she doesn't outright say that she's going to pull him away from I guess the God that he's worshiping, uh, like she does in the Bible, but she's very much pulling him away from the from his life, from moving one way or the other, uh, in terms of living like a physical life or dying and moving away from this purgatory that he's in.
0: And I accidentally said that Sarah and. Jacob were married. Uh, they weren't married. Uh, that was, they, they were still related. I think it was like his mom or grandmother okay. actually. So gotcha close, close though. Right. <laughs> Somehow. But yeah, I wasn't really sure how this movie would portray this story because I, I honestly didn't really know it had anything to do with Vietnam until I just briefly saw the plot summary so it's kind of a fairly somber Vietnam opening, and it's really bizarre where everybody's having like aneurysms or seizures, and and we see Tim Robbins get stabbed. And Alan, you remember Tim Robbins?
1: Yeah, and Shawshank Redemption. I know he's in that. It's probably his most famous role.
0: Yep, Shawshank Redemption. He's a little younger here, though. Yeah. And but then he wakes up on. The subway train, which makes me question, is he, is he dreaming about Vietnam? Is he flashing back to Vietnam? And it's, we kind of get a bit of a not so subtle hint here in the beginning where he looks up at the subway. There's like some advertisements on the subway and one of them has to do with hell. I don't remember. Maybe the other one mentioned something about like heaven or, or something, but we're kind of seeing he's faced with two choices here and he begins underground and when he's underground he kind of sees these kind of demonic creatures a homeless man with a tail and a really cool shot actually of him dodging the train and all the creepy passengers looking at him kind of foreshadowing he has some dark spiritual forces that are going to push him away from his from the path
1: right right and yeah and this this scene with him in the subway train and the subway station is very much silent hill 3 that there is a point in that game where you're literally walking through a subway station oh. trying to get to a subway train. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm guessing they probably pulled that scene from Jacob Sider. But anyways, yeah, it's very much uh, at this point when I saw I kind of figured this is one of my more cri- one of my, I guess, criticisms here is when I saw the drug for like hell and talks about. It's oh, not drug, but the ad for it was like hell. And then underneath it had like a sub a subline where it says, we're talking about some my drugs. And then when he leaves the subway train, there's a big billboard or a big ad for ecstasy and how it's bad for you. I'm just like, ah, okay. So in the very beginning, I kind of already figured out what had happened in my very first viewing where the military had made a drug and, oh no, it wasn't the military, but somebody had made a drug, it was chemical warfare, and that's what caused this entire thing. Jacob is dead, he's kind of in this purgatory kind of state right now, um, and the, there's some kind of drug that caused that to happen. I didn't know what happened or how it got there, but my first viewing I kind of already figured out at this point, and when the military thing comes up later, it was no surprise to me, but that he's dead, well, kind of dead in this in this scene, uh, most importantly uh he's most importantly it was a some kind of drug that had caused this to happen
0: yeah i I saw that stuff in the beginning and I thought oh, okay that's interesting but they didn't bring it back till deep into the yeah. third act so i I had forgotten about it right
1: yeah i that's one of my other criticisms here I guess I forgot to mention that is that it's this movie is kind of predictable that could just be because a lot of other movies take off of this. Uh, Jacob's Ladder in terms of being very psychological. So my guess is that it's just due to time. Back in the day, it may not have been nearly as uh, as predictable. But for now, especially in this day and age, it is rather predictable. That also, once again, could just be due to age.
0: Now, we should know also that when he does get back to his apartment... And he mentions the biblical names of his sons and that Jezebel is a biblical name as well. Right. She says, I never really cared much for biblical names, hence her distaste for associations with the Bible, whereas his family is nothing but biblical names, including his own name. I I don't believe his chiropractor has a biblical name, though.
1: No, yeah, I looked it up. Louis, no, he's
0: (laughs) –
1: yeah, I I didn't I didn't think so, but just to be sure, I looked it up and I found I did find an article that was talking about Jacob's ladder, and it said it was talking about all the names and how they have how they tie it into their biblical counterparts. And they came to Louie, and they were just like, "Yeah, Louie doesn't really have anything to do, uh, or his name doesn't really reference anything in the Bible, but his character very much is kind of like a god figure uh, in this in this movie." Yeah. So, yeah, Dressed the name white. not so much, but the character absolutely, which is. Basically handed to you when he says, you look like a uh, an angel, Louie, an overgrown cherub. So. Yep.
0: And Louie is always there to uh, straighten him out. Yes. When and he save it. him from the
1: hospital. He's, yeah, he, like I said, he's basically the god figure in this movie.
0: Now, at first, I didn't realize Macaulay Culkin is his son. I yes. thought it was young him. And he was crying because he remembering, like, when he was a kid. Then I, in my notes, I'm like, no, wait.
1: Yeah. I did Avis see that is, picture. Who? I saw a picture of Gabe when, like, the very, in this scene, and I was like, "Is that Macaulay Culkin?" And then, of course, he showed up later. And I was like, "Oh, it is," because it was like a very brief shot of him, of his picture, and it had been a while so since I've seen Macaulay Culkin. So I was, when he came up later, I was like, "Ah, okay, so it is."
0: Yeah. Yep. Okay, I was really impressed with the editing for this movie. I personally thought the editing was very well done. How it flashed back in certain moments, how it used sound or how it didn't use sound, per se, se, uh, to kind of transition between certain scenes. I think this movie has really effective editing that pulled me into the story more.
1: Right, and it's kind of funny, too, because... There are times when the editing kind of doesn't really make sense or it makes you question why on earth this is here. Like, for instance, when he leaves his job after the first day and he's walking down the street and this, like, group of uh, women are just kind of talking. And they start singing to him, singing to him, Mr. Postman, Mr. Postman. And it's like, oh, yeah. why is that there? What? Now, from a storytelling standpoint, it makes really no sense. But when you look at it after you've probably seen it once, maybe even twice, it makes a little bit more sense. One could say it's just angels singing to him or whatever sure. else but yeah in terms of editing i think you're absolutely right this movie surprisingly has very very good editing and there are scenes like scenes leave from one to the other and it makes complete sense why they do that uh but in terms of maybe even a narrative standpoint it makes it it feels kind of weird for its placement but in the overall scheme of things when you look back on it it makes a bit more sense
0: now I was surprised actually cuz I could have seen this movie getting nominated for best editing and also for best makeup uh, yeah. because the design of these demonic creatures they're just these faceless things for the most part. You also get some bizarre things like um that that like uh skinless dog head in the fridge at the party and snapping around it's very nightmarish and i thought yeah. the makeup was very well done
1: yeah and i'm sure that the dog but i guess it's more of just the teeth the dog but i'm, I'm guessing the dog is there because it's also kind of a reference to jezebel and her death uh, in the bible but oh yeah that's true she's yeah. eating my dogs right so that's my guess is where that idea came from, uh, but yeah, my I think the most impressive part, which has actually become very famous, is like the fidgeting head guy, and uh-huh. uh, here in a, in a few scenes, the I think his debut scene is in like this party uh, that where the dog also comes up. Uh, this party yeah. scene, this is like his first entrance, uh, and then he comes up a couple more times in the movie. There is one instance of the fidgeting head guy, which is based off a painting. By I'm looking him up here, uh, based off a painting. By Peter, by Joel Peter Whitkin, called like the Legless Man. He's on. It's when he's being wheeled through the hospital, and he yeah. looks over and sees the head, this the fidgeting head guy, like on like this grate, and he and he's yelling and stuff. That's there's a I think I guess it's a picture. It's a picture by uh, Joel Peter Whitkin. Basically, took a and copied off of it and put it into the movie. Uh, that picture is.
0: Yeah, if the guy at the party had legs because he was standing up, right? But then in the hospital, he didn't have legs, which was. Weird. So mm-hmm. that was pretty effective that way, I thought. Right.
1: And I didn't know that all of the special effects here were done there were no po- there was no post production done on them. They would in terms of like oh. the fidgeting head, what they did is they filmed somebody moving back and moving moving the head back and forth, uh, but filmed it with and with a filmed it a lot slower than you would normally film something. And so when they played it back normal speed, that's where you get that head flying around. Uh it makes it a bit more spookier. So that one I found to be, in fact, I think every yeah, every every effect in this movie, which there aren't a lot of, but uh, everything that they do use in terms of special effects are all done without you having to use post production.
0: Yeah, that was really amazing that they did that. I thought that was pretty impressive. Right,
1: that's also kind of a Silent Hill thing too. That and that and that's also been more than just Silent Hill, but also other horror genre or horror movies as well. It's rather famous, the Fidgeting Head person.
0: Now, aside from the spiritual aspects, I did see this movie as a, a well-done look at PTSD.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Coming back from the war, and it's kind of more of a allegorical or symbolical look at it, where... These kind of horrors of war are manifesting themselves in ways. Maybe these faceless people are the people that he killed in Vietnam. And to them, they didn't really have a face. It was just a person, the enemy to be killed. And now they're kind of coming back to haunt him. Or, I don't know. I just felt like the, more so the emotions conveyed through uh, that Tim Robbins did through kind of this PTSD of uh, after the war, I thought it was quite effective how, and especially during his crying scenes, those were so good where he would look at a picture of Gabe or something else would happen and he would just start crying and then how it would edit to those kind of silent flashbacks of Gabe. Oh, those, those got me actually. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And I would, I would say that the faceless creatures in this movie, especially the ones with the. With the head I would say probably go more towards the drug that the latter is what they call it later uh, that is being used on this platoon uh, because it it kind of is in this shape of, especially the head when they have the mask on it's kind of in the shape of a pill but aside from that uh, it's also, kind of, I guess the effects of the drug also are showing in the head being moved around, and how the chemical that they use or the drug that they used that we find out being put in the food for their pl- test pr- platoon. Uh, it kind of makes that make a bit more sense to me. Is that's more of a artistic representation of that drug kind of invading his personal space, but he can't exactly get rid of it. Uh, that was what I was seeing from at least that angle. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This movie is very much a uh, person. Who has PTSD? And I would even say that when the chunks of like meat that he finds like in the fridge, or when the uh, nurse bends down and her hat drops off when he's trying to go into to the talk, see Doctor Carlson, and you see like this like bone sticking out of her of her head, that's very much apparitions of him seeing like the horrors of war that he's experienced. Maybe even just the ones that he's is seen in his platoon, kind of invading his mind.
0: I, there was a famous chemical used in Vietnam called Agent Orange. And that did actually cause many of the Vietnam vets to get cancer from it and die. Right. If you remember back to our very first retrospective where we reviewed First Blood, they uh, that's how the movie opens is John Rambo is going to see his friend Delmar Berry, but he realizes that because of the Agent Orange from Vietnam, he got cancer and died. So I can see them taking kind of some of that here as well. But I did find it a little odd in the very end of this movie how there's kind of this text screen saying the Pentagon denies using this chemical on soldiers or whatever it was called. Uh, But there is reported cases of this happening, kind of making that also trying to be based on a true story or trying to draw awareness to that. That came out of nowhere for me. I that was a little strange.
1: Yeah, it is a little bit strange, and I found that it'd be kind of weird. So I looked it up to see what exactly the movie was trying, or the, what exactly the filmmakers were trying to say with this. And come to my, come to find out, the thing in Vietnam that was suspected to happen, that the Pentagon uh, denied was a thing, uh, wasn't exactly the whole point of the movie. They were just trying to put in a more realistic uh, spin True. on it. Their yeah. whole intention was just the psychological aspects with Jacob in like this purgatory state. That was the whole reason for the movie. The way they did that is they pulled in a more realistic, uh, controversial thing uh, where it ended up being the BZ drug that they used. Once again, that's not the whole point of the movie. Although it, one, one would be mistaken to believe that this movie was also trying to push some kind of uh, political standpoint with this that the Pentagon or the the military did use some drug as a test. Uh, and whether or not that's true is not necessarily the whole point of the movie. The whole point of the movie is just to look at a man dealing with both PTSD and his basically soul stuck in purgatory as he's dying.
0: Something else this movie does is play with kind of your expectations or even what you believe, which I think is very effective for a movie that is questioning reality because I questioned it as well where he's at that party and the fortune teller says he's already dead. Right. And then later on somebody else tells him you're already dead and he's just like, no, I'm not. I'm alive. I'm right here. What are you talking about? Right. And to me, uh, despite having a pretty strong notion of how the movie would end, I still questioned whether this was true or not because he's seeing and hearing things that I'm guessing aren't really there, but maybe they are. So nevertheless, the movie sets up enough unbelievable situations that when there, when you are faced with the truth, it's hard to believe it.
1: Yeah. And I'm kind of with you on my first viewing. I was like, okay, maybe he is alive and this is all, everything with Jezebel is all real. And it's just him maybe having some PTSD that's causing all these hallucinations. Uh, and then, of course, by the end, it it actually shows what happened. Uh, but yeah, it, you you would be led to believe that he's actually alive throughout all these segments, and that his entire trek with Jezebel actually happened. When in reality, it it, it didn't. And most of this movie, uh, yeah, most of this movie was him kind of th- bringing it all up in his mind, which. Well, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get there, uh, but that also that this kind of idea of him being dead the whole time, which he actually really wasn't, uh, was, well, I won't say that because I might give away a spoiler for the movie uh, that we will be reviewing soon, but uh, let's just say that Jacob's Ladder heavily influenced Sixth Sense.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I had a big wait a second moment just coming up right here. It's after he goes to the party and he has the massive fever. Yep. So they throw him into the bath, the ice bath. And I'm thinking, wait a second, because he wakes up again and it's a very inception. right here where he seems to be having dreams within dreams. Mm-hmm. Jake wakes up in bed with his wife, Sarah, and he said he's kind of had this bizarre dream where he was living with Jesse from the post office and all of his sons are still alive. And so it seems to insinuate Jake's actually been having a nightmare the whole movie. And for me, this was a nice turn because we are able to go with it for a little bit, not a long time, but... It's enough of kind of a twisty dream within a dream sort of thing, or possibly this is reality. I don't know. It made me question. I thought this was another hook that still kept me interested with the movie.
1: Yeah. And this is one of those, from what I understand, this is a situation that actually happened at home. It just, it remind the ice bath reminded him of the cold window open in their room some time ago, I'm guessing this would have been way before he went to Nam. Uh, and that this cold, this ice bath reminded him of that time back at home and that's when his son was alive. Maybe even the last time he saw him alive or for whatever reason I have a feeling that this was a situation that actually happened and that this ice bath more or less remained, let him remember what had happened before. It also served as a uh, as more of a reason to hold on because his wife, is still alive, so his wife is still alive, and some of the sons, aside from Gabe, are still alive. And this also proves the fact that uh, Jezebel was trying to keep him alive as well. And he's, at this point, is very close to dying and probably even physically dying as well, not just in this state that he's in now. Uh, and this scene, I actually really, really enjoy this scene, because especially when it pulls out from that uh, Sarah dream that he had, I guess, I guess memory that he has and pulls out and he opens up his eyes and like all bloodshot and everything. And he's sitting in the bathtub and the doctor's there saying, but I bet you have friends in high places. And then just kind of talks to him and then it goes back into his eyes and he closes him again. Uh, i really, really enjoyed this part of the movie.
0: Yeah. And so my kind of understanding of this scene is he is near death and his exp- like going towards death. He goes more towards the, kind of you could say heaven side to him heaven would be with his family still alive and intact everybody's healthy and happy that's where he goes but uh jezebel pulls him back and does everything in her power to keep him from dying and going back to sarah so he can stay alive with her right and i think we have this really incredible shot and i mean dare i say kind of a surreal shot of just the chopper hanging overhead as he's lifted up into it and the chopper's in slow motion. And that's also a nice way of pulling us back to Vietnam because we're still interested in the mystery of what happened there because everybody went nuts. We saw him got stabbed, but we don't have any resolution to the Vietnam. So using the Vietnam as a way to unfold the story and also transition to different scenes and then further question reality, that's what I'm trying to say is a nice mode of editing.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also interesting too, because in the beginning of this movie, when we first see him in this job as the postman uh, driving his vehicle around, he's singing the song called sunny boy. And then when we flash to this moment with his family, uh, Gabe has this little toy that's playing the song, sunny boy, like a more, it doesn't with what the mm-hmm. words, but like a mm-hmm. more childlike rendition of it. And then later on in the very end, when he uh, sees Gabe in his home and then, Gabe takes his hand and walks him upstairs. Once again, that same toy is there, and it's playing Sunny Boy. So the song, Sunny Boy, uh, has a very heavy uh, emphasis on this whole story uh, throughout everything almost. And then, of course, Mm at the very end of the credits, it plays it.
0: I'm I'm also finding this movie to just be very sad and heartbreaking in in many
1: ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And especially from this moment on, things just kind of really begin to unravel more so than it did before
0: and i really do feel for the main character here
1: yeah absolutely cuz it's 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 kind of hard to understand to know what's going on because not even really he knows what's going on either which usually you want to have some kind of character that leads you through what all was happening or explore what's happening which he does do but in a way that's much different than what you typically see because uh, he has no idea what's happening and The movie doesn't really make too much sense of it until the very, very end uh, when it finally explains everything.
0: We also kind of see the condition of veterans after the Vietnam War where they are just kind of outcasts and ignored. We kind of saw that in uh, First Blood as well. And the movie does depict that more so in kind of like we said, this almost – allegorical sense where they have this story of what happened to them in Vietnam. They go to the lawyer and I, I just said, we should have explained more. He has uh, fellow veterans that have come back. He's not really in contact with them, but one of them does contact him and tell him he's hallucinating as well. And they're really kind of shoved and pushed off to the side and we see that we see at least his friend, and we also know Dr. Carlson. We see them just die kind of one by one. And I see that as these veterans are uh, dying and we still have a problem in this country of veterans kind of receiving uh, medical care, and there's an unfortunate uh, high suicide rate for them as well of And I think this movie does depict that really well and draw our attention to their plight as well how, they're not really listened to they're ignored and they're they're just dying without people really kind of caring in any way
1: right right yeah and it's kind of in some ways opposite of uh first blood where first blood was very much a more external kind of a thing when it comes to veteran how veterans were uh treated this movie takes the opposite approach and goes more of the internal not necessarily what everyone how everyone treats them but how they feel coming back from the war and all that ptsd and things that they have to deal with as well as the outside forces it doesn't really this way doesn't really talk about the outside how they're treated on the outside you kind of get a couple hints maybe here or there uh, which are probably very easily missed but when it comes to how they how that war affected them personally, that's where we really love to explore that kind of idea. And especially with our main character here. Uh, And then of course, Paul later on, he, he's the one in the beginning where he has the very, he, he's kind of the fidgeting head back and forth, which is the drug kind of really taking effect on him where he's just kind of sitting down looking back and forth. Um, But later on, when he meets up with our friend Jacob, uh, this is kind of like his last moments of him being alive. And he dies almost the exact same way as Dr. Carlson does where his where his car explodes. Uh, one quick note, the guy who pulls Jacob back is the guy who tells him later on that he was the one who made the ladder. He is also, he also shows up as the guy who says, look out, look out when the car was driving down the alleyway. Oh, uh, same guy. And I think he's also the same guy who works on him with the glasses in the helicopter, if I'm not mistaken. He looks a bit different. But yeah, same guy all the way around. It, it also kind of goes to show that there are things that happen when he's kind of – things happening outside of him in actual Vietnam that do somewhat affect him in his, in his state that he's in now uh, in some kind of a way.
0: Yeah, this guy who did create the drug, this is his redemption of – you know, I'm sorry I messed you guys up in Vietnam. I'm going to do my best to kind of be your guardian angel and protect you in dire situations. So, no, oh, I'm glad you pointed that out. He was the guy who warned him kind of under that bridge area when he was about to get run over because right. I didn't realize it was such a quick shot of him. I didn't realize we saw him that early on in the movie.
1: Yeah, he's it's very quick. I, I noticed that on my last viewing that, Uh, it was him after all. I kind of suspected it was him when the car exploded, but uh, definitely I saw it when I rewound it, the part when the car comes out.
0: There's two actors here that come into the movie that are uh, fairly famous that I didn't know were in here. The first one is a young Ving Rhames who is in all the Mission Impossible movies. Okay, all right. And I thought, oh, hey, that's him. He looks young and different. And also jason alexander from seinfeld oh okay yep he's their lawyer and he does a good job he either is plays two types of people it seems kind of this nice guy or he plays this kind of dark mean guy and he does a pretty good job at it
1: right this is the this is kind of where the second half of the movie kind of comes in yeah. instead of him trying to figure out what's going on it's him searching for the truth this is very Sound Hill 2-like. Mm. Uh, but yeah, from from here on, he, especially Jacob, because after this scene, like literally the next scene, uh, after visiting with the with the lawyer, he's on his own. The other guys back yeah. out from looking for if this was the military's doing or if it wasn't. Uh, and so Jacob's kind of by himself. He wants to know the truth. And of course, we do find out later with the guy with the glasses. But yeah, from this moment on to essentially the last about five minutes it's Jacob looking searching for the truth what really happened in Vietnam
0: yeah and he is abandoned by everybody essentially yeah so it's kind of him on his own until the the one guy comes in to tell him the truth but I did want to note that I really do like everybody's performance in the movie so far I'm not getting really any pretentious vibes from anybody I think they're just doing a very well-done job of portraying their characters and their, their great actors.
1: Right, yeah. This, this Especially this kind of movie where everything has a reason to be. It's very symbolic uh, in any kind of way. <laughs> there could be a very good potential of some kind of uh, pretentiousness to come out uh, in this movie through really any kind of aspect. But I never, yeah, like you said, I never really got any that, really at any point in this movie that somebody or something was being overly pretentious uh, it was just trying to tell a good story.
0: Now, the movie gives us another twist where Jason Alexander's the lawyer character, says, you and your friends never went to Vietnam. He said you were discharged on psychological grounds after war games in Thailand. Now, that is confusing because the beginning of the movie is in the Mekong Delta in Vietnam. Right. So when we come to learn out they never went to Vietnam – that seems really odd. And then we further question what is even real and what is going on because clearly something happened, but uh, we don't know what yet.
1: Right. Yeah, this is this is where the movie becomes a bit confusing kind of in general because, yeah, we're being told now that he was never in Vietnam. And for me, when I first watched it, I was like, okay, well, then if this is real, then what were we doing in Vietnam in the first place in the opening, you know, because – and I found out later that that is very much in Vietnam. Yeah, it makes it very confusing as to why he decided, uh, why this is all brought up. Uh, and this is maybe just another one of those things where uh, they're the basically the entire world around him, aside from Sarah, who really only comes in in two scenes, uh, is pulling things away from him. Things that he loved or used to know are being stripped away. And it's just kind of leaving him... Uh, is Loneliness is beginning to set in at this point. Very... Uh, very much on a higher level than it did before.
0: And we see when he begins to doubt, which is what the lawyer causes him to do, he's immediately open to attack. And he is attacked because right. he is abducted. But we still see that he has the will to fight and the will to get out of there. So he is able to escape, but that does cause him to get... like His body's really messed up, as anybody's body would. So he is taken to... The hospital which would seem like a place to get better but all of this kind of uh was really spiritual here spiritually allegorical here where like i said with doubt comes uh you're more open to like spiritual attack and then we know that according to scripture satan was would masquerade as an angel of light and we do see these, the doctors who are here to take care of him, all dressed in white. And right. you come to find out that's the exact opposite of what they are right. intending.
1: Right. And I love this scene with he's being wheeled mm-hmm. to the hospital because it begins kind of normally. They wheel him in and they're like, they're analyzing him and whatnot. And they're like, okay, bring him into the surgery. And then they run, they walk down this hallway and at first it seems fine, but then they start stepping in puddles. And then there are different patients kind of, one's laying on the bench One's kind of in the corner, one's up on the ceiling and crawling around and stuff. One even has pads, kind of crawl around on the ceiling so it doesn't uh, rip his fingers apart. Pulling his thumbs to the gate, the uh, grates, and then it, they go through the second section where they're just pieces of body just laying around on the yeah. floor. And one, one thing gets <laughs> caught underneath the wheel and eventually gets gets free. I love this scene because for one, it's very Silent Hill-like, but two, it's. It's very much the opposite of what a hospital ever really should be. And, of course, it's all all on purpose, like you were just mentioning. But, yeah, I really love this visual of him being wheeled to the hospital that was supposed to help him. But, once again, things are being stripped away from him. Uh, He's pretty much defenseless almost completely at this point until Louis comes in and saves him. Even Jezebel is here, which I know we mentioned earlier. She's kind of one of the, she's very much a seductress. Mm-hmm. And now her true colors are shown in this scene uh, when she comes out to do an operation, do the surgery on him.
0: Yeah. And even a little earlier uh, when Jacob's just kind of sitting around at home, she has that scary demon face that like kind of pops out when she yells at him.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: This kind of was very reminiscent of Dante's Inferno for me. Where he kind of starts on the upper level of the hospital, and as he slowly descends into hell, everything gets much more nightmarish and horrifying, and it is definitely an effective scene because it's it's quite scary how yeah, uh oh, it's not a place you would want to go, not a place you'd want to be, right. and then they stick a syringe in his forehead right ooh
1: now I do know that another title because. Movies typically have more than one title in different regions of the world. Oh, yeah, the other title for this movie is Dante's Inferno. What? Uh, yeah, <laughs> apparently, according to IMDb, the opposite. I mean, it may have been the working title, uh, it's, it's but similar. yeah, one of the one of the names for it was Dante's Inferno.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess some of the other coincidences or similarities with Dante's Inferno is his love has been lost, Beatrice, and she's been taken into hell. So basically he has to traverse through a series of doubts and horrible instances and right. ultimately once he's down at the bottom of hell, he climbs up Satan and ascends and then is ultimately – and then in the sequels he ascends up heaven, which is pretty much how the this movie goes in certain ways.
1: Right. I, I do know that Dante's Inferno was also a pretty big inspiration for this movie as well. Mm-hmm. So it is no surprise – uh, that they would pull from that story uh, relatively heavily.
0: I also was... Uh, I just wanted to mention that Santa... What?
1: Yes. Yes. Once again, just another symbol of things being stripped away from. Now he doesn't have a really kind of identification, oh, yeah. which they do mention in the scene next to that. They couldn't... They had. He had no identification on him. So now he's... Fa- now he's nameless at this point, too. Uh, nobody really knows who he is.
0: Right. And also the good things in the world are being turned into like their perverted forms where instead of the Santa wanting people to freely give, he is just taking uh, from people. Uh, Yeah. That's uh, quite the moment also where you don't expect Santa to, uh, to do that to him.
1: Right. Yeah. That's that really from the beginning of Santa until once you see, once the needle was put into his forehead, that's, one of my, I think, one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie is this right here. Just in terms of visuals, mm-hmm.
0: oh, definitely. Yeah. Now, did you at all feel at the, around this point that the movie was going a little long?
1: No, I never really had an issue with length at all in my three viewings of this, uh, really at all. Even on the last viewing, I found myself even more interested than I was previously. So never really had an issue with it.
0: Uh, don't get me wrong; I am interested, but I am just surprised how much they're able to pack into not even a two-hour movie.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they do they do go through a lot of different things. Uh, I think part of that is to keep it grounded because you don't want to make it so abstract where uh, people just begin to lose interest completely by about the thirty-minute mark. Uh, but yeah, they, I can see why you think that this gets to be overly long here at this moment.
0: But right here is where we're coming to the climax and everything is falling in place and coming together. Where his Chiropractor saves him and gives him that really important line who where he says, If you're frightened of dying and holding on, then you'll see devils tearing you away. If you made peace with life, then you'll see angels carrying you away. And there is truth to that and it did make me think of Jesus's words when he said whoever wishes to keep his life will lose it and whoever wishes and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it
1: right yeah this is at first I was like when I first heard this for when I first heard the line I was like huh really because at first I was I was thinking he was saying that all the bad things that he's seeing is actually good things oh and not necessarily that once he lets go of what he's been holding on to, which at this point is really essentially just Gabe uh, and his wife Sarah, then he'll see why how those demons that he's seeing are actually being angels, and they're actually going to take him away to the good places. At first, I was thinking he was saying something along the lines of, "Oh, you know, all those demons? Yeah, they're actually angels." Like, uh huh, really? Right? I upon further inspection, I understood what he was saying.
0: I actually did think something similar at first. I thought there was this was going to be another satanic ploy where his chiropractor who seemed to be his rescuer was going to actually turn and be another dark force. Um, I'm glad they didn't go there because that would have been a little too uh, nihilistic where it's almost as if nobody's looking out for him and everybody's against him where he has like absolutely no help or hope. And uh, that would have just been too unbalanced. I think now, there's a scene after this that I want to mention where he is reading a letter from Gabe, and it's got right. silent flashbacks of Gabe walking into the street with his bike, um, cuts back to Jacob crying, and then there's the jolting, just the jolting noise of the dump truck crushing the bike. You don't see any body or anything I thought that was an extremely uh, effective scene.
1: Yeah, you you it's actually kind of cool too how they edit it because he essentially blocks out the actual impact mm-hmm. of Gabe being hit by the truck. That part is completely blocked out. But you you get enough information here that you know what happened, especially when the bike is underneath the wheel. There's you don't need to imagine too much. Uh, to understand what really happened to Gabe in that moment. Yeah, this scene I thought that it was done really, really well because it not only shows it shows that he's still holding on to Gabe to at some degree. Uh, by the way he by the way that he didn't that it didn't show Gabe getting whacked by the truck when it came by. Uh, and then of course behind him I love this too. This this when he looks into the mirror it's kind of self reflection and the mirror is kind of dirty and it's kind mm-hmm. of spotty. Uh, he doesn't know if he's completely pure or not. And then you have also have Gabe in front of him as he's looking into the mirror and imagining Gabe. And then behind him is the as a man with a fidgeting head. Kind of uh, a, a warning sign, more or less, of that's what he will become if he continues to hold on to Gabe in this moment. Uh, and then right after that, Jezebel walks in.
0: Yeah. And some some of that man with the fidgeting head coming in, sometimes you see his face and sometimes you don't. I think it's different yeah. people. That kind of felt very Twin Peaks to me. So I wouldn't be surprised if David Lynch took some of these ideas from Twin Peaks because in Twin Peaks, it's Bob who is okay. popping up um, frequently to terrorize people. Um, and he is a kind of an evil demonic force as well. Right now, it's,
1: And I also wouldn't be surprised if they if this movie itself took some off of Lynch. Oh, yeah. I, I can see some Lynchian uh, style being put in this movie to a certain extent oh i
0: i definitely agree yeah now it's no surprise that he finally interacts with michael the guy who's been warning him throughout this whole movie and like i it's no surprise that michael is named michael because michael is one of the archangels from the bible right. and michael right. is um he is one of kind of the uh, he's kind of the captain of the lord's army he's the chief warrior and he's been here helping jake every time and then we finally understand what has been going on, and I think this this scene is shot really well. Like the use of lighting in the scene is awesome because they're kind of in this abandoned building between this kind of brick brick hallway. It looks like with light casting down on them, it looks great, and it's pretty interesting what we find out.
1: Yeah, and this although I do agree with you, this scene is very is quite insightful. Uh, I think it it also over explains itself. To a certain degree. I would have... Uh, now, this is also kind of pertains to the whole movie. This movie is not as subtle as things that would come after it that are harkening back to this, for one, Silent Hill, of course. Uh, But it makes... it. May, okay, don't get me wrong. It makes sense why it's here. And we do need some kind of explanation as to was what he is pursuing in terms of the truth. Is that real or is it not real? Which we find out here. He is right. The military especially him, released a drug into the food that was supposed to cause them to fight better, when in reality, it kind of did the opposite here uh, in terms of what they wanted them to do. So, yes, it is very much needed, but I think that they also maybe overexplained themselves. It's a big exposition dump right here at the very end mm-hmm. to essentially tell you what really happened. And the rest of the movie, uh, however much left there is, is him dealing with this truth of that it really wasn't his fault that he fell into this uh, in the first place.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's pretty heavy with its exposition where it literally explains everything away. I guess my only maybe uh, giving it a little credit per se maybe is usually in scripture, whenever somebody encounters an angel, they don't believe it and they need the angel to usually over explain things to them in order for them to fully believe it so my guess is jake is learning such a vast uh, dark truth about what happened that he needs this guy to kind of give him everything about it but from a writing standpoint i do agree with you alan it's usually you're supposed to show not tell this movie has done a lot of great showing and then it's kind of surprising how it just tells us everything
1: right yeah that this might be my my point my bigger criticisms here is that it just from a for a movie that's been a lot of yeah like you said show and tell this is a lot of tell and not so much show yeah. <laughs> they do show a little bit here of the Vietnam uh what happened in Vietnam a little short mm-hmm. snippet uh yeah. Now, originally, this scene was much longer. They, mm-hmm. after explaining things, uh, there was a deleted scene. They took this out, and I'll explain why they did that in a minute, but the guy with the glasses, Michael, says, I can get rid of it for you. I can. G- I have an antidote that I brought with me, and so he, he takes him back to his place, and Michael gives mm-hmm. him this antidote, gives Jacob this antidote. Um, that was the original ending mm-hmm. to this movie. Uh, they test-screened it for audiences, and it was so intense that they had to completely rip out that about 10 minutes of material uh there at the very end now i think it from what i understand it does go on for gabe to go home and see gabe uh or jacob to go home and see gabe and then walk Mm -hmm. up the staircase i think that was still there but this was kind of a bridge between him uh getting the antidote and kind of accepting where he's at and decides to let go of everything so that scene was in this i did get a find on youtube you can look it up it's it's there oh. it's like nine and a half minutes long oh my gosh <laughs> uh so yeah it's it's a big chunk of movie that they decided to rip out they also wrote a couple other things here i think in total there were about 20 minutes that they took out in the final product after the test screening because it was apparently to wait it was too much mm. for audiences but yeah honestly i like this version yeah. better the not not the deleted scene i don't like the deleted scene as much because i think it just it really oversteps oversteps its boundaries uh, in terms of overexplaining things and then offering a solution that is not that is not really of his own choosing. Uh, in the end, Jacob decides he's going to let go instead of giving this drug that is an antidote that essentially makes him let go of things. Right,
0: I completely agree with that. I'm, I'm really glad they left that out because, I mean, A, it would have messed up the pacing of the movie. It also uh, is a quite redundant scene of him having... This double healing or uh, double salvation or something. It's weird. It that would have been that's just too much. Yeah, they, the editors made the right choice of cutting that out. And I definitely agree with you right. where that really does take away from our main character's choice here at the end. I mean, yeah, technically he cho- does choose the antidote, but who wouldn't, you know?
1: Right now, I can kind of see where they're going with it, too, at the same time. Uh, it's something that's being given to him by Michael, which you said is very much an arch—the name of the archangel. So I can see what they were going for, and I'm sure that there—I'm sure that that was that there's a great reason yeah. f- for why they had it in there. But I do think this movie flows a bit better when you just don't have that scene mm-hmm. inserted uh, in this movie. It, it does work pretty well as a deleted scene to see what the ending would have originally been. Uh, but yeah, in terms of it being in the final product not i don't think it really fits nearly as well as the rest of this movie. yeah does.
0: that's a little too uh paint by numbers explanation for the ending right. there whereas right after this scene this is the very end right after the scene i didn't know where we were going with I, I didn't know where we were going i didn't know how it would end so otherwise that would have just been so contrite and so tidy with the wrap-up it would have messed it up but before we do move right. on from this scene Um, the guy explains that he created what he calls the ladder and it's the path right to kind of your internal anger and rage. And that draws our attention to the ladder could go both ways. It can go uh, down or it can go up. And we see Jacob on that ladder, this whole movie of, but he's got his high points. He's got his low points. And uh, people tearing at him at the bottom and people kind of carrying him like his chiropractor wheeling him back up to the top.
1: Right. Yeah. And and it's I know. And of course, in the story, it's kind of the exact same way that ladder goes both ways. Uh, Jacob in the story, in the the biblical story, he's. He approaches the ladder, and it's uh he's like at the very middle of it where it can go, like you said can go both ways. And it's also kind of interesting here because the ladder that he does go up is more of a staircase uh than it really is a ladder. But hey, it makes a bit more sense when you enter it in the drug. It's called the ladder. Makes a bit more sense in terms of the story's kind of rendition of uh of taking the biblical story as like a more of a, uh an allegory, I guess you could say. But yeah,
0: uh, did you notice the piano score here? I thought it was well, well done.
1: Yeah, I did, and also in the scene in the bathtub, I, where mm. I also noticed the score, I thought it was really well done there, too. Uh, I thought they did a very good job at creating kind of this psychological music.
0: Now, I do love this final scene because it completely plays with my emotions and expectations, where he goes to Sarah's apartment building. He still has a key, which I thought was interesting in nobody's home. And at first I have a dreadful sense of just impending doom because I am so used to movies giving me a dark twist at the end and it's like, oh, okay, no happy ending for this movie. So I'm expecting it to go pretty dark. But the other thing that I'm loving about this, how it's taking its slow time to let us bask in the emotions and confusion of it all, because uh, this is kind of Jacob's revelation sitting here, ultimately deciding where he wants to be and what he wants. And the whole ending here is so well edited. I I just had to mention that again.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally with you on this. This is very much, I actually did not expect this either because I was expecting, like a lot of movies like this, usually they just kind of end up on a very dark note. Uh, sometimes for good reason, sometimes not so much. But this is one of those movie, one of those times when I feel like the good ending is essential for for this kind of a story. Because with Jacob, he spent the whole movie having things being torn away from him. Most of this movie is things him being spent in the, the darker side of this ladder, I guess you could say. He is very much having things being torn away from him uh, to a point where he becomes essentially a nobody in this world and is on the brink of essentially going crazy. And now at the very end here, he learns to let go of Sarah and learns to let go of Gabe. And then it's Gabe who ends up the one who leads him upstairs, up up the staircase and into into the light. I thought that was very interesting that it was Gabe who the one thing he had held onto this entire film Uh, When he finally let go of him, then it was Gabe who ends up bringing him upwards.
0: I absolutely loved this ending where he wakes up to see Gabe sitting on the stairs. And I noticed he's wearing his army jacket and dog tags, which kind of gives us uh, an insinuation, you know, what he's actually going on right there. But undoubtedly, Gabe is a reference to gabriel yeah. the other archangel yes and gabriel is carrying him away up the stairs aka jacob's ladder and oh i i got chills actually in the end of this movie yeah. and then when you cut to him lying on the Viet, the bed in vietnam he's never left and the war was raging in his mind and soul the whole time like in his spirit uh, he dies in the end but i found it to be redeeming
1: one of the things we would tend to have an issue with in this movie is that the is this ending where it's one of those things where oh it's all a dream you know uh one mm-hmm. of those kinds of endings where it can all be explained where it's all a dream and things like that it's kind of sort of true but it at least takes this dream thing and does something with it not just make an excuse for the weird things that happen because a lot of the things that do happen in this movie to some degree uh, are things that are happening like people working on him. Uh, For instance, the light when they find him in the forest is also a light when uh, Jezebel wakes him up in the morning with the sunlight breaking breaking through uh, the curtains. There are small things like that here and there throughout the movie that uh, go to show that whatever is happening outside his body in the physical world where they're carrying him onto the structure and after the helicopter are also affecting him in his mind, but also memories that have happened in the past, like with Sarah and things, are also infesting his mind as well at the same time. So at least it makes a bit more sense, not just that it's an excuse for thing, random things to happen in this movie. So I completely buy it because the whole point of this movie is uh, him to find some kind of redemption uh, with what he's done in his past life. And once again, I don't really have much of an issue with it being all one of those all, it's all a dream uh, thing. That's Yes, to a certain point, I I know why it's there What uh, why people would have an issue with it. But at the same time, that's also not the intent is to just have random things happen for no reason, because there is a reason for everything that happened in this movie. But not to be explained away by just, oh, it's all a dream and give just some kind of excuse for it.
0: Yeah, I don't really have an issue with it either, because this is much meatier and weightier than the usual. It was all just a dream type stories like The Wizard of Oz. Where, yeah, there are parallels to Dorothy's dream in real life, but ultimately, they don't mean anything. Right. It, right. That's just a really basic, simple, fun movie. That's still fine. But this is more of a spiritual battle going on within a real-life battle of Vietnam. Right. Where, you know, you don't really know who's going to win. How is it going to turn out? It's a horrifying situation. And then... All of that interplay between divorcing his wife, leaving her for the woman at the post office, she's trying to pull him away, his dead son, um, these biblical references. This is so much like Meteor yeah. um, that I don't have a problem with it, that they told it in such a way that was captivating.
1: Right, right. And yeah, it, like I said, there, this is one of those movies where everything has some kind of purpose to it there's really no bone left unpicked here uh everything has some kind of purpose to the story whether that be big or small uh they mentioned earlier a couple of one of the things I mentioned earlier which kind of also goes into play with jacob is he was a philosopher he had a phd in philosophy and now he works as a mailman and uh, louis brings this up and he's like why don't you do something with it He kind of mentioned something like, something about that uh And once again, that just kind of goes to show of him letting go of things uh, things being taken away from him. Yeah, there's a lot here. Everything has some kind of purpose to be here, not just to be explained away by some excuse of, oh, it's all a dream, to... I guess, justify everything that happened. Uh, no, that there is a good reason for everything to be here. Every single line of dialogue, every single object that you see in this movie, everything has some kind of purpose to build into the overall message of the story. And to me, that's what, that's the makings of a really great film is that everything that is in the movie, because the filmmakers in theory should have full control over everything that they're doing. Uh, everything that's in the movie should be played towards the central message and the central idea that they're trying to get across, which they do do Ab- here.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm surprised, looking at the works of the director and writer, I was a little disappointed they didn't really go on to do anything that matched this. Everything right. else they did was just kind of bizarre or below the standards of what they created here. So... They cap- I think they captured lightning in a bottle here with this one, and unfortunately, from what I've at least seen and understand, they they didn't replicate it with their later works. But
1: right, uh, right well. yeah, this is one of those kind of accidental one hit wonders for yeah. them. Where this is one of the best. Although I, I've heard good things about Ghost, I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, but aside from that, everything else that I've seen in the filmography for both writer and director, it's not anything that you really have either heard of or have heard just bad things about.
0: So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Jacob's Ladder?
1: I was, at first, not super thrilled about Jacob's Ladder when I first watched it. I thought it was good, and I gave it an 8 out of 10. But I had... No, I think I gave it a 7, actually, when I first watched it. And I was like, well, it's good, but there are things in here that I found... You know, I've seen this before, kind of a feeling. Until I watched it a second time and a third time, and I began to realize that those things that I felt have a much bigger purpose into it, into the story than I initially thought. And now being able to watch it again, and I would even, I would even say I'd go back and watch it right now just to look and see how much more I can pick out of it. Because this is one of those movies, once again, everything has a purpose. So every single detail that's in here uh, has, is, is there for a good reason. Uh, And so, I found that to be very interesting, and one of those movies where you can uh, you can honestly just kind of rewatch again and again and find more things about it. Now, I will not stand here and say that there are not better things in this. For instance, a movie, uh, for instance, a game like Silent Hill, which I've mentioned many, many times in this podcast, I think do a better job, especially Silent Hill Two, do a better job at this kind of idea and portraying this kind of idea in some kind of entertainment format. That's not to say that Jacob Jacob's is bad. I don't think it is. In fact, I would it's kinda I, I find it hard to judge a film by what comes after it, because that doesn't ought always mean that it's a bad film. This is one of those re, one of those one of those times where just because there are other films or other things like it that have a more psychological aspect to it, but do it in a much different way, and maybe even a better way, this is where it's the kind of the beginnings of this kind of thing. Once again, very kind of Lynchian, but also in its new in a different camp than Lynch is because Lynch is just a weird guy in general. Overall, <laughs> I really enjoy this movie. I think it does a very good job of what it's trying to portray. There are things that here that I don't like and I've kind of mentioned that where it is kind of obvious. I find it would be rather predictable on my first watching. Uh, once again, probably due to age. Uh, but that does kind of take away from my enjoyment. However, at the end, I still very much enjoy Jacob's Ladder. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 and a pretty solid recommend for me.
0: Jacob's Ladder takes an old concept used in the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge and gives a gripping look at the struggle over the spiritual battle for the soul. Wrapped in nightmarish imagery, driven by emotional undercurrents and uniquely told through biblical allegory, Jacob's Ladder is a powerful drama. Also, the visual effects and artful editing are the icing on the cake. The performances are solid, and thankfully the story isn't spoon-fed to us, save for that exposition dump there at the end. Thankfully, the end concludes with a beautiful redemption that I wasn't sure would happen. Jacob's Ladder is one I look forward to returning to. It receives nine stars out of ten with a high recommend. Well, listeners, we want to know, have you played Silent Hill 1 or 2? Or uh, those are the games that I'm sure are drawing from this movie, not the other games.
1: Yeah, 1, 2, and well, the whole series to a a certain extent is, but especially 1, 2, and 3, and maybe 4, but I haven't played 4 that I know do pull heavily off of this, off off this movie.
0: Well, listeners, what do you think of uh, the references, how this is clearly influenced um, pop culture and video games and books and other mediums and how it draws from it. We want to know what you think about Jacob's ladder. We want to thank you for joining us on our very first review for 2019, our first retrospective series that we are kicking off here uh, make sure to leave your comments in the comment section below you can also tweet at us at silver screen guide or you can contact us on our facebook page and leave your thoughts there as well now we will not be coming back with jacob's ladder next week because the movie doesn't have a release date but next week we'll be coming back for alan's birthday pick alan do you want to reveal to them what that is
1: yes uh now i'll go ahead and warn beforehand, because most people may not have even heard of this. It's called Patterson. It's got Adam Driver in it. it came out in 2016, I believe. Uh, it's a movie that I watched... Well, I know where I found it. I listened to Chris Stuckman's review of it, and it sounded rather interesting to me. So I eventually, when it came on to Amazon Prime, I checked it out. And I'll save some more thoughts about that until later. Uh, but I'll go ahead and say it now. This We're dealing with one of my favorite movies of all time here. And it's a movie that... Well... I'll save that until next week when we talk about it Uh, because it's a very interesting film. Uh, One of the more, I guess what you could say is kind of almost an anti-film in certain ways. We'll talk about that next week, but I'm very excited to talk about it because I have wanted to talk about this movie for actually a, a while since I watched it. And the more that I watch, the more I want to talk about it. So I'm excited. That's what's happening next week.
0: After we do Alan's birthday pick, we will also be coming back with the new Suspiria movie that we will be wrapping. Yeah, finally, we will be wrapping up that retrospective series. So before we do that review, make sure to go and catch up on um, the Three Mothers trilogy that we have reviewed. It is up on the website right now. And then we will be doing my birthday pick. My birthday is coming up very soon as well. And then from there, we will be jumping into our M. Shyamalan retrospective series and we also have uh, we're going to be doing the Mad Max retrospective series and then uh, a little later on into the first half of the year we will be doing the Men in Black series leading up to Men in Black International and then the Back to the Future series so we've got some really fun movies that I'm looking forward to and I haven't seen most all of them actually
1: I've seen about half of all of this so for most of it i get for i guess a big chunk of it it's going to be relatively new for both of us so that would be interesting to talk about
0: yeah it will be because usually one of us has had some familiarity seeing um the movies we've already reviewed before now it's not always the case right but this will be the case i've i've seen a couple of them clearly i've seen back to the future movies and so have you right But as for most of the others, we really haven't seen much of them. So make sure to uh, mark your calendars for those. Click the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. And if you want more reviews that nobody else gets except patrons, then go ahead and head over to our patron page where you can become an exclusive Silver Screen Guide member. Where just for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee, you will get all kinds of exclusive access to written reviews, movie commentaries, Q&A where you can ask us anything, and of course, bonus reviews. You'll have all kinds of access over there. Uh, That is in the link in the description below. Very easy to find. So is all of our other links to our website, to... Uh, the iTunes podcast page, and to our social media pages as well. So go ahead, subscribe over to those things as well, and make sure to share this with your friends and family. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So the more people we have engaged in the conversation at Silver Screen Guide about movies, well, the more the merrier. So we really look forward to uh, adding and bringing in a lot of new members to Silver Screen Guide community uh, this year in 2019. I'm really looking forward to all of the movies that we have coming up. I'm really excited about it and at the uh, new prospects for silver screen guide, especially now that Alan and I are both graduated from college. We will have more time to invest in making silver screen guide even better for you guys. So uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining me and for suggesting this as a retrospective.
1: Absolutely. I'm hope I'm excited to see what the next one, the, Jacob, next Jacob's the Jacob Sider remake has in store. Just curious to see what that's all about.
0: I am too. I will be honest. I'm kind of worried they're going to mess it up. Um, The most recent thing I can think of is Flatliners, which was a remake of the 80s movies with Kevin Bacon and Kiefer Sutherland and a few other people. I haven't seen either of those movies, but I heard the new Flatliners was awful. So I'm...
1: I believe the word I heard was boring is yeah. the best way to explain it.
0: <laughs> so I'm I don't want to be a pessimist about the new Jacobs ladder. I want to give it the benefit of the doubt, but I'm kind of confused why. We why they even chose to remake it, and how in the world could we not have a trailer for a movie that's supposed to come out next month, or or right. really even a poster. Right. Those are not good signs. So <laughs> I don't know, totally we'll see. Maybe not. at the Super Bowl we'll get a trailer for it.
1: It's possible. Uh, it's it's very possible. Hopefully, Maybe. it doesn't pull one of those, you know, Cloverfield uh, paradox, where it just decides to release that night of the Super Bowl. Maybe I really hope they will. don't do that again.
0: They might.
1: That's I'm what actually, I'm scared of.
0: <laughs> I'm actually kind of thinking that might be the case now. Great. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. But like I said, we're gonna give it the benefit of the doubt. Although they have a, there's been a high bar set with this movie. Oh, yeah. For them to remake it. Oh, yeah. Listeners, once again, thank you for joining us. You got a lot more to do. You don't have to leave. We have tons and tons of podcasts and retrospective series all over the place. You can check those out in the archives. Um, Most notably, you can go on the website at silverscreenguide.wordpress.com or you can go to silverscreenguide.podbean.com where all of that all of the podcasts are organized on the left-hand sidebar. So pick your favorite movies, your favorite genre. We've most likely got it over there. So keep listening, have a great day, and we'll catch you next time.
1: And some people have an issue with this where they're just like, he was—he was dead the whole time. Or another thing is—are you, are you did, still there? Or you're frozen. Oh yeah, I'm still here. You're—you're you're frozen too. Can you hear me?
0: Frozen. Hello.
1: I can hear you. I can hear you, but you're. Hello.
0: Oh wait, you're back. Oh, there we go. <laughs>
1: uh, today's been a day.
0: <laughs> okay uh did you hear what i said
1: yeah uh and i was in the middle of responding and then you're like where'd you go
0: <laughs> i remember
1: what i was saying too oh i know what oh, i was saying oh, oh. okay i'll start i'll just start over